When I was a sophomore in college, I lived in an apartment on Roosevelt Island, a narrow islet in New York City's East River, nestled between Manhattan and Queens. The area has a rather tragic history. In the 19th century, the southernmost part was set aside for an infamous smallpox hospital, the ruins of which can still be seen today. My apartment was spacious, and the view from the balcony absolutely amazing. I'm not gonna lie, for a dorm situation, my roommates and I felt like we were living pretty large. Not long after we moved in, things started to get weird. All of us felt watched when no one else was around. Once, when I was home alone working on an art project for class, I could have sworn someone was looming over my shoulder, staring daggers at me. This went on for an hour, at least. I did my best to ignore the feeling, but I'll admit I was glad when the roommates got home. As the semester wore on, one of my roommates and I cleared out a workspace in the living room for a joint project. I would work on it first, then go to bed, giving her the rest of the night to work on her portion. The arrangement lined up nicely with our sleep schedules. One night, after working on the project, as I lay reading in bed, I saw a shadow fall across my book. Someone was behind me. Assuming it was my roommate, I turned to see what she needed, only to find that no one was there. I shrugged it off as a trick of the light and went back to reading. A few minutes later, the shadow crept across my book a second time. Again, I turned around. Again, no one was there. I practically turned the room upside down looking for a logical explanation, but finally convinced there wasn't one. All I could do was pull the covers over my head and will myself to sleep. Sometime later, we held a Halloween party. The conversation inevitably turned toward all things supernatural. Much to our surprise, our guests agreed the apartment gave them the creeps. Some of them went so far as to say they were afraid of going out on the balcony, that they'd get the feeling of someone wanting to push them off if they got too close to the railing. Two people who'd spent the night at one time or another claimed to have been plagued by the same weird dream. They'd dreamt they were paralyzed and being levitated above the bed by something. Whatever it was delighted in spinning them around violently. Needless to say, hearing all this, I was floored. But then the roommate with whom I shared the art project proceeded to tell her side of the story from that night a few months back. She had been working in the living room after I'd gone to bed as per our arrangement, and out of the corner of her eye, had seen someone or something creeping down the hallway. Assuming it was me, she was puzzled to find that I was tucked under the covers in my bedroom fast asleep. She returned to the living room and went back to work. Before long, she felt a cold, menacing presence come up behind her and glower at the back of her head. Try though she might to put it out of her mind, the feeling stayed with her until she decided to call it a night. You can imagine my roommate's surprise as I told her my own experience from that evening. After the Halloween party, I began seeing the shadow figure myself, always out of the corner of my eye, always creeping down the hallway. Whenever I turned to face it full on, the figure would dart out of view. I convinced myself my imagination was just getting the better of me until I had a friend over one afternoon. We were talking at the kitchen table when out of the corner of my eye, I saw the figure creeping down the hallway toward us. Before I could apologize for being momentarily distracted, my friend said, I saw it too. I hadn't mentioned the shadow figure to anyone before. Saw what? I asked. She replied, the black thing in the hallway. My roommates left for winter break. Not wanting to be alone, I invited a friend to stay over. I was brushing my teeth at the bathroom sink. The door opened since we were mid-conversation. And during a pause, a voice suddenly and distinctly whispered my name right into my ear. 
Though my roommates would later make fun of me for doing this, I contacted a paranormal group to investigate our place during winter break. They advised me to sprinkle some holy water through the apartment and say, This is my home and you're scaring me. That's not okay and you need to leave. There didn't seem to be much activity after I followed their advice. The question is, did what I do work? Or had I just learned to ignore it? Hi! <laughs> I'm, I'm Jamie Markey. Oh, I'm Michael Tatum. And, and this... this. <laughs> Fucked it up. I did. <laughs> I was excited. I... Just do it. We'll just, well, it's too late. In for a pity, in for a pound. See, this is what it's happens. It's goal intentions. This is goal intentions. Goal you guys. This is the podcast. I know you had no fucking clue what you were listening to. We know to. you were just, you were probably trying to find, like, you know, something else on Spotify, like My Favorite Murder or Last Podcast right. on the Left. You just accidentally, like, slipped on ours. Thank you. Yeah, uh, it's My Favorite Ghost. That's what you <laughs> my, my favorite, favorite haunting. My favorite murder that wound up uh, with a ghost. My favorite whoopsie ghost. <laughs> I was just about to say that. <laughs> we just started this entire discussion before recording with uh, a discussion about mm-hmm. what was better, Dimatap or Robitussin. And Dimatap, it's 100% Dimatap. Just for flavor, we're not talking about its usefulness. No. We're just talking no. about it as a kid. So when I was a kid, I loved the taste of Pepto-Bismol. And so mm. I don't know why, I just fucking did. Now I can't stand it, but I mean, you know, it's... Yeah, here's what happened with me and Pepto-Bismol. I always had to take it when I had some sort of thing that I was vomiting. So it became like this like trigger effect well, of whenever I would take it, I would just vomit. Well, funny you should mention that. So what finally broke me of my habit... <laughs> Was so I used to like I would pretend to have a stomach ache just so I'd be like, Mom, Dad, I have a tummy ache, can I have some pet to bed mom? They'd be like, Okay. And they were on to me, so they'd give me like a little drop just to shut me yeah. up. But they were not gonna they were gonna try to not. You feed were like Pepto Bismol like kids are with band-aids. I've got a bruise. That doesn't need a band-aid, but I want a band-aid. Are kids like that with band-aids? I've never Oh I've my never god. Yes. I hated band-aids because they always they always hurt coming up. Anyway, so well, I and so, why have a band-aid when you can drink Pepto Bismol? <laughs> <laughs> it cures everything. Uh, hey, the only, the only one that coats is the only one you need. This uh, podcast is not sponsored by Pepto Bismol, by it the way. It is not. You can tell by the story I'm about to tell. So, <laughs> no, I, oh no. I one night I actually had a really really bad stomachache, and so like I kept getting up, and and I was a little older, so I could like I could medicate myself by now because my parents trusted me with with things like that. Maybe they just didn't care about me anymore by that age. But <laughs> Maybe they were like, eh, let's see what happens. But I, so I was fine. fucking chugging Pepto-Bismol every couple of hours because the pain would come back. It was awful. At first, we thought I might be, like, having appendicitis. Uh, knock on wood, hopefully that never happens. But but uh, uh, anyway, but I woke <laughs> I up the next— I hear it's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I woke up the next morning, and I was still just feeling gross, but the pain had somewhat subsided. But I'm sitting there, and my mom put breakfast in front of me, and I was like— Ugh. And this is the first time in this incident that I'd felt nauseous. The rest of the time it had just been right. a straight up stomachache, but I was like, oh, I'm going to vomit. And it was like that, like, oh, this isn't even, I'm barely going to have time to be nauseous. My body's like, this is coming up. And so I ran to the bathroom. Uh, I feel like we should have given like a trigger warning <laughs> about if you get trigger warning. Well, but the good news is uh, the the vomit was gorgeous. <laughs> it was It was hot pink. <laughs> 
all over everything in my parents' bathroom because it was the closer bathroom. Uh. So I ran to their their bathroom and it was like, and and like just pink. Like we had to get the carpet and the wallpaper redone in that oh room. Oh my God. Because it stained everything so yeah. badly. I Because I mean, I basically had a stomach full of Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> Oh. So that, that is the way that your body self-cleanses. <laughs> <laughs> it did feel like I was, you know, like maybe there was some kind of, I don't know. I felt like I was being possessed by Glinda, the Good Witch of the North, and my body was rejecting her. It's such a good thing that you were awake when this happened. <laughs> because had you been asleep, you could have died. I could have. I could have. On your own vomit, and they would have oh. said it was an overdose of pepto <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, I've never so, uh, OD'd on Dimatap. Dimatap is the true. I have never, medicine. I have never OD'd on anything except Cheetos. You OD'd on Pepto Bismol. I did not OD. Your body evacuated before body, it could do any real damage. My body evacuated, but I didn't OD. <laughs> I don't. I don't. It wasn't OD. It was. You had too much. I'm going to say that. You had too much. <laughs> Although, to be fair, I guess any amount of heroin is too much. <laughs> I just had a little bit of heroin. You had too much, Oh, we sir. go from Pepto-Bismol to heroin now? Jesus. Just a little bit are of you, meth. Are you trying to That's suggest too that much. Pepto-Bismol that is, too is much a gateway meth. drug? <laughs> <laughs> Cocaine. Too much. A little bit. Too much. <laughs> I'm not I'm not espousing addiction to any kind of substance, but I will say my no. experience with Pepto-Bismol gave me some wonderful decorating ideas I would come to use much later in life. Anyway, what's our title today, Jamie? <laughs> I don't know. I gotta look. <laughs> the, look on your <laughs> the look on your face is priceless. I am unhappy with what you've talked about so far. <laughs> I'm just weeding out the people that aren't committed. <laughs> That's right. Before we so, get to ghouls. So those of you gotta, that are still with us, you're the true, you're the true ghouls. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> and, and also, I, I'm very sorry. I'm so sorry. And, and also with you. Um, man, my stomach is physically having a reaction right now. So if anybody else out there is me too, bitches, me too. Okay, so our title for today's episode uh, um, it is was gonna not be this, only, but now it's slightly, trading spaces. What? <laughs> it's not the trading spaces. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. Okay. So it. I think it works for what we're talking about. But all it, sometimes the universe <laughs> talks to you and communicates something. And one of the things that we were talking about uh, is that <laughs> our stories are kind <sighs> yes. of like a vacation. Like, yes. where would we go uh, for me? Like, what if you just went down Route 66 and stayed somewhere? That'd be really cool. And you mm-hmm. were like, fuck Route 66. I want to go to the UK. And I get that, too, because the gin is amazing over there. Oh, so, yes. <laughs> I get it. So it's like vacations, and that made uh, uh, brought about, um, of course, uh, Disney World has opened oh. uh, in Florida, who is having record reports of of, of uh, uh, COVID um, Cause, cause cases because it, uh, it's a small world and, after all. I mean, they they yeah. they know it. They acknowledge it. It's one of their fucking rides, yeah. and they're still open. Yeah. <sighs> so um, the quote. Is um, well, the title is just rows of orange trees, and it, <laughs> it comes from the quote, "There was no Disney World then, just rows of orange trees," and it's uh, from a book by Tim Dorsey called "Florida Roadkill." 
<laughs> and that was the, that's not me. That was the universe. That was the universe telling yeah. us, man, if you live in Florida, I hope if you're listening to this, I hope it's from the safety of your home and that yeah. you aren't going out unless you absolutely need to. And like, I just, oh man, I just don't, I get it. I don't like the pandemic either, but not believing in it is not a defense mechanism. Mm-mm. It doesn't do anything any more than, than, um, <laughs> any more than a rabbit's foot is uh, yeah. a substitute for an airbag. Yeah, yeah. And here's, you know, I've seen online ads, I guess on, on Twitter and stuff, from people who are like, did you not get led into a store because you weren't wearing a mask? Let these lawyers help you. And, um, <laughs> you know, hashtag not all lawyers. No, Got a no, lot of lovely no. lawyers online that are super cool. Uh, this lawyer and the ones that are doing this are not because I'm like... Where's the support for the nudists who can't go into Target with their dick right. hanging out? What about right. those guys? Why aren't we supporting them instead of the state telling them they have to put on pants or shirt? Also, how many generations of LGBTQ plus people had to fight before they could even, like, hang a flag, a pride flag right. in their window without risking getting raided by the police? Like, these fucking Karens that think they're somehow social warriors because they're not going to wear a mask. I'm like, bitch, first of all, you risking my life by not wearing a mask, so you're an idiot if you think that makes me sympathetic to your point of view. Fuck off, put the mask on before I give you a better reason to wear one by knocking every goddamn tooth out of your fucking head. Sorry, I'm yeah, I guess I see a lot of, the other thing about uh, when it comes down to it is uh, it's not all about you. It's yeah, not always, it's just kind of like not you. always going to be about you. And that's okay. It's and so okay. these same people, like if you told them that wearing a mask was their way to like support Trump, they'd be like, hell yeah. But just like, like, it's like, I don't, if you feel that being asked to not spread a pandemic <laughs> is infringing on your rights, mm, think you need to have a long, hard look at what yeah. you expect out of life. Right. Or just, like, take your rights into a little corner and you guys all share your rights together and catch yeah. those rights. Yeah. Go to your own rights hospital. Yeah. yeah. So that you can all go to your own rights funeral. See how uh, many <laughs> see how many comorbidities uh, work with those rights. Anyway, right. Right. so. And plus, <laughs> when you wear a mask, you might look like the Lone Ranger. Hey. Oh, and they do like to pretend that they're all alone and that they're rangers. Well, you know, that's what Trump said, right? When he wears the mask, it makes him feel like he's the Lone Ranger. Oh, my God. Makes him look like the Lone Ranger. I just picture Do you not him. know that? I just picture him. I, no, I try to avoid that name any, any chance I can, but it's hard to. But I just picture him going around that White House with a little mask on going, pew, 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 pew. Like, <laughs> right. Or just the, the face mask over his eyes, a la the Lone Ranger, but without eye holes and running into things. That's... My preferred visualization. <laughs> um, actually, the Lone Ranger makes a brief appearance in my story. Really? Oh, yeah. well. If you'd like to hear it. He does not make it in mine. Yes, I would like to hear it. By all means. Okay, okay I'll get started then. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I am doing the Hotel Monte Vista in Ooh. Flagstaff, Arizona. I don't know if we've done anything in Arizona yet. I don't think so. But we may so. have. It's been a while. I've stayed in Arizona. I've stayed in Flagstaff, actually. It's really, it's a really? beautiful, beautiful area. We stayed yeah. we were there for, uh, Brandon and I were there for a con a few years ago, and it was right next to a really cool nature trail that we uh, Ooh, nice. went on. It was like, the hotel was, I was, it was lovely. I just, I think that area of the the United States is just breathtaking. 
It is. It is. So um, let me tell my sources real quick. Wikipedia, per use. Of course. Hotel Mont... Hotel Mont... Hotel Montevus. Hotel Montevista.com. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, bring, get her the diamond tap. Hopper. Um, and the Southwest Ghost Hunters Association. Nice. All right. So let's do this. Now, this is, I like this juxtaposition. So I'm going to start with fun little juxtaposition. Okay. According to Wikipedia, the Hotel Monte Vista is a famous and historic hotel located one block north of U.S. Route 66 in Flagstaff, Arizona. And according to the Hotel Monte Vista website, Towering above the corners of Aspen and San Francisco streets, the Hotel Monte Vista stands just off historic Route 66 as a true touchstone for all of Flagstaff and her citizens. I like that Flagstaff's a woman. While the mountains <laughs> and nearby canyon countries, uh, with the mountains and nearby canyon countries, the Hotel Monte Vista is your place to relax while you explore all of the natural wonders northern Arizona has to offer. The Hotel Monte Vista remains the centerpiece for historic downtown Flagstaff. Staying here can give you a true glimpse into the spirited lifestyle of the great American West. Okay, that's not not bad for a first take. Can you let's come back in for it and just. <laughs> Uh, make it make make her sound more natural, like you know, just like a friend who's just telling us about how cool this spot is. Like, don't don't oversell it. We don't want it to sound too announcer. Sorry. Oh my god, towering, <laughs> towering above the corners of Aspen and San Francisco. Stars. Sorry for those of you that don't get that reference. So Jamie and I, as voice actors, often get like uh, uh, auditions for commercials, auditions. and um, yeah. uh, the the way the the client wants it read in the audition is called the spec, and it's. So specs, or we're looking for a person with, you know, this quality in their voice, maybe within this range. Specifications, yes. <clears throat> and uh, every time when it's copied, it's like Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. The spec is always like, but we don't want natural. something announced. We want natural, like a friend uh, who's just sitting mm-hmm. down with buddies over a beer, telling them how cool uh, this monster truck rally is. <laughs> and so that's the kind of. And so it's it's the in joke is like, not announcery. Just make it yeah, more it's friendly. Not it's just advertisers yeah. desperately going, hey, could you could you try to conceal the fact that we don't know how to write human sounding copy? <laughs> That's true. Sorry. I may be Sunday. a little bitter. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday. Sunday, um, Sunday, Sunday. Down at the track, <laughs> it is, I'm telling you, the best truck, visit, monster truck just, rally yeah, at that. It's going to be amazing. Visit Travelocity.com. Yeah. And, you know, I'm telling you, it's great. And you should enter for their their sweepstakes. It's yeah, going it's on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it doesn't happen. <laughs> Sorry. That's None of these people went. sponsor us. We will never Absolutely get commercials now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll spend our time uh, making fun of commercials. <laughs> right. This might not be the last of those because we've been laughing about them recently. There's okay, been a okay. Lot. okay. So anyway, I just enjoyed the differences between Wikipedia's <laughs> summary <laughs> of hotel and their website. It's all in marketing. Okay. Yep. <laughs> before, we, before we get started into the hysteria of the hotel, Ooh, yes. which there's quite a bit, oh, yes. I wanted to first point out that the hotel was a filming location for the 1942 American Romantic drama Casablanca. Oh, I didn't know that. I fucking yeah. love Casablanca. Yeah, is one of my favorite movies. I know. And then another one of your favorite movies, there's a scene from one of those from that movie that's one of your favorites, Forrest Gump. <laughs> How dare you? How dare? How dare? You, you know what? For your birthday this year, I'm going to give you a bottle oh. of Robitussin disguised as Diamond Tap. 
<laughs> just for that. With a, with a chaser of Pepto. Uh, <laughs> oh, spoiler alert. I'm so triggered. Michael I'm does so not like horse gum, gum at all. <laughs> oh, God. I just like to call it, like, I don't know, Woods Bump. It's a okay. bump, on a, bump on a log movie. I, I just, I like how so angry much. the movie makes you. I'm so angry. Instantaneously. So angry. 40 years of history. And this guy just uh, fucking waltzes through it. His girlfriend <laughs> is the worst person in the world. No, she's, she's not, not the great. Worst, but she's not awful. Great. But yeah, sorry. I just, I love Tom Hanks. Hate, hate, hate Forrest Gump. I love it. I love how much you hate it. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Why? So. Life is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? I know what I'm getting when I open I know, a box of a, chocolates. There's, there's a, a fucking like, little description. There's you a paper in there that has you. like, oh, these. this is toffee. This is peanut butter. Like Again, fucking, books like, and covers. <laughs> How do you know what book you're reading without a fucking cover? Uh, <laughs> okay, so back to Hotel Montevista. Sorry, derailing, derailing. My bad. Um, the hotel was also featured as a haunted location on the paranormal TV series Most Terrifying Places, which mm. aired on the Travel Channel in 2019, so just last year, as well oh, no. as one of the old, like, OG Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they did one on it. Unsolved Mysteries is back, you guys. It's so good. You I have watched to watch them it. all the other day. Oh, they're so they're good, so aren't they? so fucking good. I love it. But then I love you that- forget that you're watching Unsolved Mysteries and you're ready to hear the conclusion. And then you're like, oh, it's Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah. It's, yeah, like it's like it's like you write the ending. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> but it's so good. But that good. means we'll get updates. Remember the updates that we used to get? Oh, my back God. Yes. Update. So <laughs> Nobody and gives the, a and shit then about the, Bigfoot. My favorite thing <laughs> in the opening is how it ends on that picture of Robert Stack. So good. Yeah, and they still so use the sweet. old, they still use kind of a version, a new, uh, uh, fancy new version of the the old yes. theme, which I think is really yeah. good. Like, I, and I man. guess the producers are the original producers, but then also the producers oh. for Stranger Things. Oh, that's so good. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And each okay, episode, okay. and each episode focuses just on one mystery, so they get to do a nice mm-hmm. deep dive every time, so rather than doing uh, a bunch of little ones. But I yeah, mean, the girls even love it because I was like, when I was their age, I was sitting around watching Unsolved Mysteries, so they can do it too, and they love it. They fucking love it. They're like, but what about this? Oh my gosh, what about that? And they get upset and everything, right. just like I used to. I love it. <laughs> uh, so anyway, sorry, sorry. Um, it seems though that that Unsolved Mysteries brought a lot of ghost hunting attention to this particular location. Um, <sighs> I'd like to say it has a pedigree of sorts. If you've been on Unsolved Mysteries, you have a bit of a pedigree. I mean, that was before Ghost Hunters. Well before. Well before those shows were really getting any kind of traction because not until sightings in the 90s did uh, the paranormal investigative shows become a thing again. I mean, there'd have been a few that had dabbled, like That's Incredible and Ripley's Believe It or Not, you know. But Mm -hmm. I don't think anything that really focused on, like, the actual process of ghost hunting no. Uh, uh, if it was, it was Unsolved Mysteries, right? Yeah, exactly. So, okay, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. First, let's travel back in time to Flagstaff, Arizona in the 1920s. <laughs> we haven't done that in a while. Uh, things were hopping in Flagstaff at the time, and the city decided. Like, the citizens in the city decided they needed a hoppin' hotel to keep up with their hoppin' city. So, now, they had other hotels, right? But they were old. They weren't mm. the quality of hotel they were wanting. Um, they were shit. They were shit hotels. They wanted a fancy <laughs> hotel. Garbage. So, they decided to, to build a first-class hotel in Flagstaff. The citizens wanted to be 
in on the action. So they Hmm. started a fundraiser in April of 1926, and within one month, investments of prominent citizens and funds donated by the novelist Zane Gray totaled approximately $200,000. Wow, that's a lot of money for the 20s. In one month. crazy. That's crazy. And Zane Gray was a a, a great author of Westerns. He was like right up there with like Louis L'Amour. Do you know his best-selling novel? Uh, 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 No. It was 1912, Writers of the Purple Sage. God, yes, I did know that. Sorry. Yeah. So I uh, I put a, did a little bit because I was like, who is this Zane Grey fella? He also stayed at the hotel quite a bit. But his novels and short stories have been adapted into 112 films, two television episodes, and a television series. They basically milked Grey's writing for all it was worth. Like 50 of his writings were made into 100 films. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> so they were just like, let's get it all. So it's um, like, like The Hobbit. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, the Lone Ranger was actually based on his book, The Lone Star Ranger. Mm. And uh, his history is fascinating in itself. He, he was bur- born Pearl Zane Gray. It was a manly name back then. A manly name. And I think it was after like someone's pearls or something specific. I can't quite remember. It had something to do with the queen. He was named, his first name was Pearl. He dropped it, but his family, so it was G-R-A-Y, and then later his mm-hmm. family changed their name to G-R-E-Y for some reason. I, I don't know. There's a lot of history there. He started a production, film production company, and ended up selling it to Paramount and blah, 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 blah. Like, there's mm-hmm. a lot of, of history there. He's, too. he's so fascinating, If you like histories, person. if you like Hollywood and old film stuff, he's right up your alley, Zane Gray. Uh Fantastic. So, anyway, back to the hotel. Yes. Ground was broken on June 8th of uh, 1926. Construction plans for the 73-room hotel incorporated the already standing local post office, which remained in, in the hotel for 10 more years, as well as the structure itself and the Montevie cocktail la- lounge, which at the time was used to house the Coconino, Coconino Sun. Hmm. Uh, the Hotel Monte Vista, and we'll get into a little bit of that in a minute. The Hotel right. Monte Vista opened for business on New Year's Day, 1927. Originally named the Community Hotel in honor of the townspeople who contributed to its existence, the city decided to have a contest to name the hotel. The winning name, Monte Vista, meaning Mountain View, was chosen after being submitted by a 12-year-old girl. Oh, I love that. I like that. I thought that was a sweet little addition. The remaining old post office is still connected to the hotel and serves as a premier concert venue in Flagstaff. Oh, cool. The Monte Vista continues to be the longest publicly held commercial property in Arizona until it was sold to a private investor in the early 1960s. It remains to, uh, let's see, it, it remains one of the oldest hotels in Flagstaff as well. The Monte Vista it, it continued. It looks so cool, too. Like, just judging yeah. from the photos in that lobby, like, oh, my God, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Um, let's see. Not to be done by El Paso, Flagstaff has its own system of underground tunnels as well, which we talked about in last week's El Paso tunnels. Flagstaff has tunnels as well. So many cities have underground tunnels. It's like service corridors for a city. Makes sense. The rumor is they were here in Dallas. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, The rumor is they were built by Chinese immigrants. Um, But either way, they snake their way from Northern Arizona University up through downtown Flagstaff. Businesses, including the Weatherford Hotel, Babbitt's Backcountry, and the Monte Vista, all have access to these tunnels in their basements. (sighs) Ah, 
how cool would that be? I know, I know. In the early 1900s, so before the hotel was built, a devastatingly large fire damaged many buildings in downtown Flagstaff. Chinese migrant workers were blamed for the fire because I guess the reasons used at the time were cooking and or cleaning practices. Hmm. But my assumption is they were blamed because they were there and hmm. not white. <laughs> After that, the it Chinese was probably began started to by use... some drunk white dude who was like, "Oh, the Chinese people did it." And they're uh, like, "Not me." <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, after that, the Chinese began to use the systems, the tunnels, to get around town without being harassed. Ah, no. The tunnels are now used for storage and piping, but it's said the larger alcoves of the tunnels have been home to more suspicious activity. Oh, Opium yeah. dens, moonshine distilleries, gambling machines, and other relics of illegal activity have been discovered in the depths of Flagstaff's underworld. So it, it's clearly where the party is happening. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, take, take me to the tunnels. That's one of the ones where, where instead of like, fuck a basement, it's like, yeah, fuck a basement. I'm not going in there. Quick, get to the basement. <laughs> fuck a basement. Uh, that's, that's the password. <laughs> Except for this one. This one. If, it goes, <laughs> if it goes lower than the basement, then the then the basement's fine. Yeah, those of you in the future, like if, if we ever experience another prohibition, Jamie and I are going to start a speakeasy. And for those yeah. of you listening, um, the password will be hashtag fuck a basement. Yeah. Oh, so it's <laughs> funny, funny you should mention prohibition. Oh, oh, I had an so, idea. I had a feeling. I know. Okay, so the building was opened in 1927 mm. with a lounge, but prohibition lasted from 1920 to 1933. So you might be thinking to yourself, a cocktail lounge couldn't open during prohibition. Are you crazy, Jamie? <laughs> Are you crazy? Why, I am thinking that, Jamie. Oh, it's not about me. This isn't about me. This is oh. about a hotel, okay? okay. <laughs> Are you crazy, hotel? Okay, probably. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> uh, okay, so <laughs> the bar opened under the guise of that newspaper publishing house. The newspaper was there, but there was a newspaper publishing house ah. that was there. And rumor has it during this time there was a major bootlegging operation and speakeasy in this particular space. Local officers put an end to it and forced the bar to shut down in 1931. Boo for two years. Boo. <laughs> but two years Bail. later, prohibition ended and it was back up and running. Good. Good. So this they, time legally. They weathered the Yay. storm. And that bar is still open. You can still oh, go into sweet. that bar and have drinks. Hell yeah. So, uh, fun fact, a light on top of the hotel served as an emergency signal for Flagstaff in the 1930s. It would hmm. flash and alert local authorities and the citizens of hazards and catastrophes in and around town. Like, it was like the bat signal. That's funny, but how does a light communicate? That's Like, that light, people look up, like, if something's happening, it could be a flood, a I storm, know. a bomb. We don't know. Uh, yeah, do do? I don't understand how that worked either, but it would flash. There's a problem. Okay, well, I wonder. <laughs> hope everyone's okay. How did anyone survive anything before we had cell phones? I know. <laughs> Let me look on Twitter. Is it trending? I don't know. Um, Probably because they would wear masks if told to. But anyway. Yeah, right. Uh, also <laughs> making this particular hotel noteworthy are the numerous celebrities that have stayed here. Of course. So, celebrities is, do like their opulent hotels. Yeah, right. Uh, Mary Costigan. Costigan? I'm going to say Costigan. Uh, in 1927, Mary was the second woman in the world to be granted a radio broadcasting license. Sweet. She initially set up a small station backstage at the Majestic Opera House, which is now the Orpheum. Mm. Of course, we know that all theater theaters are haunted, but if they're Orpheum theaters, they're, like, exceptionally haunted. Oh, yeah. <laughs> name so, for Orpheus, the myth of, like, going to the underworld and retrieving people from the dead. Like, it's yeah. it's in the name. 
Right, right. The Memphis theater that I did, Orpheum. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So anyway, her office was in room 105. Okay. For years, yeah. All right. Uh, In the 40s and 50s, Western films were on the rise during the, uh, let's see, turning the wheels for more than 100 movies to be shot in nearby Sedona and Oak Creek Canyon. During the filming, the Hotel Monte Vista hosted such famous guests as Jane Russell, Gary Cooper, Spencer Tracy, John Wayne, and Bing Crosby. Wow. The hotel website even has room numbers of some of these famous folks. So Bob Hope was in 203 and 204. Mm -hmm. Zane Grade stayed in 210. Bing Crosby stayed in 213. Michael J. Fox was in 216. It makes me feel, they're all in different rooms, so it makes me feel like these rooms must be fantastic. Esther Williams stayed in 224. And Michael Stipe from R.E.M., of course, course. stayed in room 205. Now, pause. The hotel's website has him listed as Michael Strip. And it fucking cracked me up. I was like, Michael Strip? <laughs> Someone doesn't know who he is. <laughs> I love it. Or maybe Lucy. they do. They're like, that's not Michael Stipe. That's Michael Strip. And that's what I'm going to put. I don't know. Lose but I love my it. G-string? Yeah. Now, I will say that I do find it a little disturbing that the hotel says what rooms people stayed in. Like, I don't want... Do you think that ever? That ha- do you think that'll ever happen to us? If we go to a hotel and they'll be like, you know, famous voice actors <laughs> stayed here. <laughs> and I'm like, you know They're what? They're in room two ten right now. No, I have a feeling. No. I have a feeling. There's a couple of La Quintas already doing that. Ooh, that's right. Near <laughs> a Denny's. Um, <laughs> and then you go so to the, the Denny's, ho- and they know what table we ordered the Grand Slam from. It's uh, yeah. it's really weird. It's really weird. I don't enjoy it. Uh, it's weird. I just, that's an interesting <laughs> thing. I, I, I'm not, it's you don't of, see that a lot, I'd say. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the hotel has weird. also named it's like, I guess, some of the good rooms. luck getting those guests to come back. They're like, oh, uh, yeah. Thanks. I had a good time, um, but uh, I'm not going to. Thank you. Also, a significant portion of those people are dead, but. <laughs> uh, the hotel has named the rooms after celebrities who've stayed there. So it'll be like the Gary Cooper room yeah. or. Yeah, the Bing Crosby room or whatever. Uh, they're leaning into that history big time. Yeah, I mean, it's, leaning it's into what it. you do. That's it's fine. what you do. That's you know, it's they like they're not the first. They first got a business to, to run. That's right. So after World War II, Hollywood glitterati. I love that term. <laughs> Me too. It's so good. I am never not going to use it. Glitterati. glitterati. <laughs> uh, they were huge fans of Hotel Monte Vista. So um, the shoe shiner Gregory Martinez and the porter bellhop Isaac Henderson quickly gained a national reputation along with the rest of the staff at the hotel for having the best and friendliest service around. Hmm. Both men were actually offered parts in Hollywood movies, but neither ever accepted, choosing to remain on staff instead. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, Barber Samuel Cansinas, who worked out of the hotel for 12 years, was once flown to Phoenix upon special request to cut Harry Truman's hair. <laughs> wow. The ex-president stated that he wanted the best and he knew he could get it from the Hotel Monte Vista. Huh. How about that? Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's a, so that's, a, that's quite a feather in one's cap. I yeah. No, they've got they've got some history going on there. So let's talk about hauntings, speaking of history. Yeah. The terror in the hysteria. The uh, the hotel, like a lot of hotels these days, is not afraid of talking about the ghosts that haunt it. It's an old hotel with a lot of history and hotels that have that energy about them anyway. Mm-hmm. It's true. You, you walk in and you feel it. Yep. Uh, so let's get into the numerous spirits <sighs> that haunt this hotel. Yes. Yes. First, 
one of the weirdest fucking things I've ever read about. Okay. Really? Oh, I'm all ears. In room 220 is the meat man. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah. Oh. So this weirdest fuck long-term boarder was known by his strange habit of hanging raw meat from the chandelier. As you do. Does he have an OnlyFans? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I feel like this is all just a euphemism for... Because he dead. Because like he Deuce real Bigelow. dead now. Uh, in the early 1980s, the lodger was found in his room three days after his death. Oh. Not long afterwards, a maintenance worker was working on a few repairs. When in need of a new fixture, he left the room, turned the lights off, and locked the door. Returning only a few minutes later, he found the television on at full volume, and the linens on the bed had been ripped and scattered around the room. Today, it is common for the television to kind of just do what it wants. And there are also reports of cold male hands touching guests in their sleep. Now, I'm still stuck on this. Why did he hang raw meat around? Was there I ever... don't know. And the hotel just let him? I guess. I mean, I guess if he was if he was. But they wealthy, had long-term boarders. Uh, that's what they did. They hung meat. I mean, maybe he... Uh, that's weird. Maybe he was it's drying really it like jerky style? Yeah, maybe he was... He was was jerking as meat? Maybe somebody just misunderstood. (laughs) Telling you, it's all a euphemism. He hung his meat. Oh, in other words, he just masturbated a lot. Like a lot of housekeeping walked in on him doing some pretty uh, faptastic things for years. He's been hanging his meat on the ceiling. That's what he's doing. He just wanted to swing from the chandelier. Yeah. I don't think that's what Sia plans. Okay, here's the thing. When I become an old man, I'm going to do some weird shit in hotel rooms like that. I'm not (laughs) going to beat my meat or hang my meat. I'm not going to, like, I'm actually going to just, like, I'm going to just, like, I don't know, raise pigeons or something and just have them in the room with me and, like, have tea with them and dress them up. Like, I'm going to do just weird shit. I'm going to be the eccentric old man who looks like Merlin and who insists on referring to everyone as though they're from, like, a knighthood. <laughs> I like it. I support it. Okay, room 220 was the meat man. Room 305 is the rocking chair issue. So oh. room 305 is considered the most active room in the hotel. Most of that activity is connected to a particular rocking chair that has been in that room for a very, very long time. This is the room featured in a lot of paranormal shows that you've seen, YouTube videos, stuff like that. There are numerous reports of seeing a woman in the rocking chair near the window. Guests and housekeeping have reported seeing the chair move by itself as well, um, and a knocking coming from inside the closet. According to the hotel, an elderly woman was a long-term renter, and she used to sit by the window for hours on end in the rocking chair. Nobody knows what she was looking for what she was waiting for. Uh, She has, of course, since passed on, and they assume she must still be in that chair looking out the window. Huh. Huh. Room number 306. To be fair, when you find a comfortable chair. I know. I love a good rocking chair, too. There's something very soothing about it. True. Very true. Um, Room 306 is home to the women of the evening AKA sex worker. Oh, I Back in the early days comedians. of the hotel, Flagstaff's <laughs> <laughs> sex worker. Um, so back in the early days of the hotel, the Flagstaff's red light district was just south of the railroad tracks, which was only like two blocks away from the Monta Vista. Mm. So the Monta Vista was sometimes used for quality time between a worker and her client. 
you know. I yes. mean, everyone's got to work. They got to they got to make their living. That's right. Uh, in the early 1940s, two sex workers were brought to room 306. Tragically, both women were killed in the room and then thrown from oh. the third floor balcony or Jesus. third floor window, probably to cover up the murders. Over the years, there have been several reports of people having been woken up in the middle of the night and unable to return to sleep due to a feeling that they are being watched. However, a more common complaint usually comes from men staying in the room. These men report waking up to a feeling of having a hand placed over their mouths and throats, and they are unable to breathe for a short time. Oh, no. Yeah. Get them, girls. <laughs> uh, then you have... Hashtag the, not all men. Not all men. But, I mean, you know, if, you're, yeah. if, you, were, if you were a murdered woman of the night, I, you know, I'm going to give Hashtag you Hashtag not freebie. all murdered women of the night. <laughs> Touch. <laughs> okay. Then you have the phantom bellboy. One of the most common reports is from guests of the hotel who hear a knock at their door and a muffled voice announcing room service. When they open the door, no one is there. Huh. Some guests have even seen the figure of a bellboy standing outside of room 210. One such guest is John Wayne himself. Mm. Mr. Wayne reported that the ghost seemed friendly and that he did not feel threatened by its presence. The housekeepers of the hotel frequently experienced the so-called antics of the bellboy. One report states that they saw a young male in an old-fashioned red coat with brass buttons just walking up and down the halls. Huh. Then my personal I just wanted personal real quick, nightmare. I want to say that uh, Phantom Bellboy was my online handle when I was a lady of the night. <laughs> Until you get thrown out that window. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's too you, soon. You gotta, too soon. You got to be prepared for that. <laughs> too soon. Um, and like what I was saying, uh, my personal nightmare, the baby in the basement. Oh. The disturbing sounds of an infant crying in the basement have been heard over and over again. Reported primarily by maintenance and laundry personnel, this is one of the most disturbing encounters. Staff have found themselves running upstairs to escape the sound of the cries. Though the sounds are very real to those who hear them, uh, there has no, been no information that has explained this phenomenon. Oh. There's the little boy. The ghostly image of a young boy has been seen wandering the halls of the hotel. Some guests say that they have had this young ghost touch their hand. His voice can sometimes be heard as if he's walking behind you. People who've seen this ghost have said it looks as though he may be speaking with his mother. The dancing couple. On several occasions, lounge staff and patrons have witnessed a transparent couple dancing in the cocktail lounge. They are seen in formal dress, formal dress laughing and smiling, Eternally dancing. Aww. Yeah. They're always and on their honeymoon. I like that I know. sweet. And lastly, the bank robber. In 1970, <gasps> three men robbed a nearby bank. During the robbery, a bank guard shot one of the men. Despite one of them being shot, they decided to hide out in the lounge and have a drink. As you know, <laughs> open bleeding wounds do not make the best mixer. <laughs> so we call that the people... bloody Harry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess the alcohol just, worked as that blood thinner, and he bled you just, out. Uh, and... You just stick a celery stalk right there in the in right. the bullet hole, and just it's great. Hold <laughs> up, spice it, clean it off. You have everything you need at a bar for any kind of injury. Um... <laughs> Ice. 
disinfectants. Simple syrup. Simple what? syrups, anesthetics. Um, yeah. <laughs> Tongs. Whiskey for drinking. <laughs> uh, okay, so he died in the bar. And since then, both patrons and staff have been reported being greeted by an anonymous voice saying, good morning. There have also been reports of bar stools and drinks that seem to move on their own. Mm. Of course, this is all on top of the usual hauntings, unexplainable voices, footsteps, and shadows. This is a lot of very specific activity for I mean, a hotel, it's basically, which is fucking it, awesome. It's basically the haunted mansion. It's like we've got right, 999, exactly. you know, ghosts here. Yeah. Got, we got to so, go. We have because, to go. I know. And because it's such a popular haunt... Uh, two, I thought this is jackpot. This is going to be so easy. There's going to be so much information to find on this hotel specific stuff about, like, these people that died. But guess what? No. It's very hard to find any history about any of these things, <sighs> which is weird. As we know, some of the history in the early 21st and before then and not so early 21st centuries um, is difficult to find. Yeah. But luckily— the Southwest Ghost Hunter Association was there to solve my dilemma. They were kind enough to search the Arizona Daily Sun and the Northern Arizona University Archives in one of their investigations. And guess what they found? What? It's a lot of bullshit. God damn it. We have an actually. Oh, we have man. a hashtag. Even the dancing couple. Actually. Even the meat man. Damn Let's it. go through it, shall oh, we? Oh, no, it's going to be a point for point, like, that's bullshit, uh-huh. and here's why. Uh-huh. Okay, Man. so, clap. I clap. Sorry, Matt, I clap. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's good, though. It's good. This The uh, Southwest Ghost Hunters Association is so thorough. I fucking love their website. So much information. Well, good um, on them for being, yeah. for, like, debunking, for having the, the, really the courage debunking. to debunk a really it's popular so much ghost so story. that I had to go look for ones that they didn't debunk. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. So I think maybe sometimes you can go too far in the there's no evidence, it must not be haunted range. Uh-huh. But they do the kind of investigation that I like, which is let's look into the history of it. Right, right. So. A couple of those stories should be fucking obvious. The bank robber in the 1970 who dies in the bar because he thought getting a drink was better than getting his shot ass to the hospital? I mean... That should have been in the news. But there is nothing about it anywhere in the archives. Hmm. There were several bank robberies in the 70s, but all those criminals were caught and tried for their crimes. There was no incident in any of the newspapers where one suspect went into the hotel and died or any reporters of any of the robbers being shot by a bank security guard. You know what I feel like? I feel like that's probably a story that grew because, like, you know— Maybe a few days after an actual bank robbery, some customer, yeah. a patron was in the bar going, you know, can you imagine like if one of them had come in here to drink and like right. whatever. And then so, someone what overhears up? that and it just becomes like a joke among the yeah. regulars. And then it grows into a story where like, oh, it's said. That's like yeah. Every time, every time, every time I hear it said that blah, 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 blah. I'm like, it's said by, you know, no one. In other words, it's, yeah, exactly. it's said. In other words, there's no record of this, but people like to spin this bullshit because it passes the time. Right. Yeah. And the other thing, and I was looking forward to hearing this fucking story and getting right? to the bottom of it. I was the so two sold. sex workers that were killed and thrown from the window. Like, had- that shit would be front page news. I want to know what happened. The murderino in me wants to know. And there is no historical evidence that corroborates with the ghost legend. There's I will absolutely say, nothing about about it in any of the news or the archives. I, I will say that story immediately kind of 
tweaked my shenanigans radar because I'm thinking to myself, like, both were thrown from the window. Like, the logistics are difficult because, one, right. you got to kill two different people. And then mm-hmm. you can't throw two people out the window at the same time. It's not possible unless you're the fucking Hulk. And, uh, and windows, you know, are small, so they usually don't accommodate easily two people. And it's really suspicious if two people right. fall out of the same window. So I'm like, what did he, did the murderer mm-hmm. throw one woman out? And while the crowd was busy collecting in the street uh, at the sound, uh, he just thought, I'll just sneak another one in there. <laughs> but it's one of those situations where it's such a bit, a huge extreme story, like the like the guy getting shot and yeah, bleeding out. Yeah. It's such a big story mm-hmm. uh, that, why would you make that up? It's so ridiculous. People can check it easily. Sometimes people don't realize they're making up a story because, like, they'll overhear something and they'll, they'll, re- it's the game of telephone, especially when that much sometimes, time has passed. Sometimes. But let's continue. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> according, according to the stories told at the hotel, John Wayne reported seeing that bellboy ghost in the late 1950s. Describing the spirit as friendly, this benevolent ghost evidently made a brief appearance in the movie star's room. He complained that his alcohol and cigars were going missing and blamed it on the ghost. But there was no collaborating evidence other than the hotel's story. Oh, man. Something important to note about John Wayne is that in the late 1950s, the Duke was not in Arizona at all. He Mm. was in Tucson Tucson, earlier in 1950 filming Rio Bravo, but the only time he would have been in northern Arizona was when he was filming Westerns in Monument Valley, which was in the late 30s. Of course, it is possible that the date was remembered incorrectly, but that is a 20-year fucking difference. Yeah. You would think hold new staff, everything in that amount Mm -hmm. of time. Like, it's... It's a big difference. Okay. And I guess, you know, when you work work somewhere and it's known for having housed a famous guest at some point in the past, everyone, as they grow older into that role, begins to kind of assume the other generation's stories and tell them as though they're their own. And it's like, I get, yeah, yeah, you know, maybe? I mean, it, it, it happens. Possible. I've seen it's it happen possible. even in smaller jobs because I used to work uh, years ago uh, at a music store and a lot of the local uh, celebrities like Don Henley and like uh, uh, other people that we knew from the music scene would come and shop there because we knew our shit and we had a lot of good stuff, right? Well, You know, I saw maybe one or two celebrities come in who I didn't know of at the time. So they weren't celebrities to me. I didn't know who Don Henley was when I was 19. I have no idea. Right. Um, But uh, but other people would. And like but later but I tell those stories now as though I talk with these people and knew them. And I didn't like they came in and they were pointed out to me. But I'm like, I didn't have any real interaction with them. But it's easy to kind of fall into my uh, my coworkers stories. And it's just when you're telling. Uh, a story like that to someone else, you tend to cut out the middleman and make yourself the protagonist and then on and on and goes. And so it's easy for me to think that, you know, John Wayne yeah. maybe had some experience in the 20s or 30s. And then years later, like the the great grandson, it, it was like, you yeah. know, just, just telling the story like like he heard or she heard uh, the Duke yeah. talk about it. So it's we- it's a weird game of telephone that happens mm-hmm. with legends. That's yeah. what makes a legend a legend. Yep. And with the little boy ghost, there's no evidence that suggests a child has died or is attached to the building for any reason. Oh, I mean, I'm glad, man, I'm glad, I'm glad of that. But the meat man, that really disappoints me. I know. Seems to be a figment of someone's imagination. No history <laughs> supports that story either. According to the Southwest Ghost Hunters Association's report on the hotel, and this is in their words, during our investigation in 1998, we interviewed many of the staff working at the hotel. The only stories of paranormal activity at the time were the phantom bellboy and the ghost of the woman in room 305. However, mm. one of the maintenance men and two housekeeper told us about the dancing couple 
and that that had been made up by a television show. The television show what? also exact- TV's lying yep. for ratings? I, I know. I never. The television show also exaggerated the tales of the haunting in room 305. There's no apparition. The chair just moves around and does not rock on its own. They were very adamant about this as the bellboy and the women and the woman were the only real ghosts of the hotel. The mm. other tales of ghosts were told to us during our second visit in 2002. The hotel is obviously the propagator of the ghost stories. This is according to Southwest mm. Ghost Hunters Association. Mm. Mm. So mm. the SGHA uh, did the research and then held an investigation at the hotel in 2002. They wanted to take away the stories because they're like, okay, we can't trust that these stories are true because they're not based in history and we don't know what's real or not. So let's mm. just take away the stories and let's investigate the rep- reports. What is happening? What are people saying is happening and go after that? So they started with the auditory reports, which are significant. That's the the most of the reports are auditory in nature. The hotel was built in 1927, remember. The walls were paper thin and sound travels a lot farther than people think it does. The hotel's bar is popular on the college scene, and the noise lasts until the bar closes like at 3 a.m. Oh, Jesus. So between the partying and the sounds made by the other guests of the hotel, there is a multitude of possible explanations for what people are hearing. They Mm. tested this hypothesis in a pretty simple way. One of the investigators left a room they were in, and minutes later, the team heard a knock at their door, accompanied by the investigator saying, room service, in a muffled voice. When the door was opened, no one was there. The investigator walked around the corner a few seconds later. He was actually knocking on a different door around the corner. Uh, you know, that happened in my building just the other day. Uh, uh, yeah. A DoorDash person was knocking on a neighbor's door, and uh, I, it sounded like they were knocking on ours. The dogs barked and everything, and I, I looked out, yeah. and I was like, I'm not expecting anyone, but then I saw the, the guy uh, at like the other end of the fucking hallway. Yeah. Where had that Sound door had that door been five feet in any direction, I wouldn't have been able to see it. I mean, like, did someone? And I would have walked away going, I just had a weird experience, guys. I heard a door knock. So mm, right. Yeah. Have you ever heard of like in the um, in the in the oh house uh, in D.C. Not the White House, but the legislative house, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, where yeah. They, the the spot where you can hear people talking. Yeah. So this was yeah, it's so fucking cool. If uh-huh. you sit in a certain spot and then someone else is in this other spot, and it used to be where um one side was on one party was on one side, the other party was on another side, and they had it set up where if that party was whispering, you could make out every single word they said in this yeah. one particular spot. It's really cool. Acoustics acoustics are complicated. Like as it is in the White House. It's you, in the White like, House tour, yeah. yeah. That's right. Why, okay, yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah acoustics, like, people people don't realize that acoustics are not a straightforward science. Like it is, no. it is very easy to be tricked. I mean, you I think, think it's, it's easy. cool that they did that back then. They're like, yeah, you know what they, we should do? It's kind of neat. It's Let's neat. eavesdrop. I love it. Um, so you know, and and that's also why his voice was muffled because it was mm. traveling much farther. Yeah. Um, and it occurs because lower frequencies, like the knock, travel farther, and higher frequencies, his voice, are harder to hear, which is why. Again, it sounds muffled. So Mm, mm, mm. then they went to the basement to test the same theory. The basement is long and used mostly for storage. The immediate thing they noticed is that it was a great echo chamber. Whispers of one end of the basement could be heard easily on the opposite side of the room. Mm, mm, Then the band started playing in the bar before they could start any actual testing. But 
they could make out the lyrics of the song being played very clearly. Hmm. If a baby had been crying upstairs as well, yeah, then same effect. So uh, that huh. explains the baby in the basement and a lot of the other sounds that have been reported from the hotel. Huh. Okay, so what about the rocking rocking chair, right? Right. How's that motherfucker move around on its own? Turns out it doesn't. Probably doesn't. The staff has to move it to clean and do maintenance. And one maintenance worker told the investigators about a time that he went to the room to fix the air conditioning unit. Mm. Guests had just checked into the room and found out it was not working, which is the fucking worst. It's fucking worst. <laughs> and I only ever Especially realize it's not like I'll turn. I usually turn it down as soon as I get into the room. Mm-hmm. And I only ever realize it hasn't been turned like it's not actually working after I've unpacked everything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Always, it's, it's the worst. worst. Especially in like a place like Arizona where it's never yeah. not hot. Ugh. Ugh. Oh, okay. God. So um, anyway, the worker went up to repair it while the guests were out so as not to bother them. And when he was fixing the AC, he had to move the chair. He did not put it back. So then when the people got back, they freaked out because someone had moved the chair. They thought it was the ghost. And, and had they the not been worker. told ahead of time that that was a thing, that it, wouldn't, that it would never have occurred to them that it was anything but the maintenance person just moving ding, the chair. Ding. Like exactly. it's that. So you come in with that expectation and you see what you, what you exactly. didn't, what you didn't even know you wanted to see, but you wanted people to see. People see what they came to see. Um, yep. It's so funny. Um, it's a pretty normal phenomenon, too. So in the words of the SGHA, the propagator is the business itself. The myth is propagated by disseminating information to guests, the media, and other people who visit the location. Guests at the hotel search for, interpret, and focus on information in a way that confirms to the myth's preconception, which is a confirmation bias. This primes the location for additional paranormal, quote, experiences by creating an observation selection bias. Biased by the knowledge of the myth, people start noticing things that that were not noticed previously and, as a result, wrongly assume that this newly discovered phenomenon is paranormal in origin. Hmm. Observation Hmm. selection bias. These visitors have been biased, and if the person's belief is open to the existence of the paranormal phenomenon, their perception creates an increase in the possibility of misinterpreting a normal event as a paranormal-oriented one. This, in turn, creates additional events that give the myth longevity. Mm. Mm. So, I'm not saying that this hotel is not haunted. I mean, it's still a hotel. The workers <laughs> like at the hotel, happen, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. hotels are fucking haunted. Um, and then it's it's nice and old mm-hmm. and has a nice long history, very intense history. And also in that investigation they did in the 90s, the uh, workers at the hotel still said there is the bellboy and there is the woman in room 305. They said it at that time. These are the yeah. ghosts that are haunting. It was afterwards that it seemed to become more popular to have these these other ghosts haunting. So, figure mm. um, better, you know. Let's add. Well, well we need a child ghost yeah. now, and uh, let's have a dancing couple. It's like it's like someone brainstorming right. the last season of Game of Thrones. They can't get into <laughs> these two rooms, so let's give ghosts for different rooms so that people can stay in different rooms. That's what it seems to be <laughs> yeah. to me. Let's, allegedly, let's diversify their their ghost having options by haunting more rooms. Yeah, it yeah, makes right. it's it's kind of like the movie High Spirits that we've talked about several times in the past few shows, where they're like, yeah, it's actually haunted, but because the ghosts don't like behave on cue, the staff make up a lot more ghosts and do 100%. a lot of shenanigans just because, you know, they've got a tourism trade to keep up. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think, so, I think that happens. I think, you know, I, I think the like the, this investigation that you're talking about, they do a great job of explaining how a lot of this stuff is bullshit, but that doesn't mean that everything is and right. that there's probably still at bottom, there's still probably a handful of genuinely paranormal experiences, mm-hmm. but the stories that people attach to them out of habit are probably completely fabricated. Yes. You know, like it's I, I still like the idea of a ghost haunting the place that just decides, well, fuck, everyone thinks I'm Montgomery Cliff, so I guess I'm going to be Montgomery Cliff now what did he used to do so the ghost is like studying for the role (laughs) meanwhile who that ghost really was in life is totally forgotten i find that sad it is it is now the hotel encourages guests to ask staff for stories so if you go just know they may have been told what to say by the hotel they may have things they're supposed to say to keep the haunting going to keep the stories Mm -hmm. going Mm -hmm. um at this point i don't trust them god love them in my opinion, I don't trust well, them. Well, and even, even <laughs> and even if they're not doing it, even if they're not being mendacious uh, on purpose, you know, they're still they work at a haunted hotel. They they know it as a haunted hotel. They're going to have the same confirmation bias as any guest. And so if they've right. had a weird experience, That's they're going to be like, oh, you know, the bellboy touched me once. And it's like, well, yeah. did he, or does that just how you interpret it? Because you were told there's a phantom bellboy in this room. You know yeah, what I mean? So I think- it's like. It's just hard to trust. That's why that's why we when we're doing this podcast, you guys, that's why we're always looking for like documentation because mm-hmm. the human mind is just not reliable. <laughs> it's not a reliable no. not a reliable uh, uh um uh on its own. You have to have you need to back that shit up. Mhm. And um so I guess I would say uh the only way that you're going to know for sure is if you go and you have a drink and you stay the night and if anything happens, it happens. And if it does happen, fucking write us in. Write it in. Give it to us. us Let us know. Because I want to know. But always assume, always assume that you're simply seeing what you want to see and try to filter your experience through that knowledge and see what, what you're could, left what with. What else see, could it be? See what you're what honestly left with when you really try to distill it down to, okay, is it possible that I'm just uh, primed to believe that what I'm experiencing is this versus like, oh, could it have been the staff member just moving the chair when they came in to clean or something? You know, like you yeah. got to be careful about that because ghosts are fun. We know this. We have a yes. whole podcast about it. It's and true. it's really disappointing when you learn that a story may not be true, but... I think an even more subtler approach is to is to accept the fact that maybe there is truth to the story, but you can't get to it by just piling on bullshit. You can't. It no. just it obscures everything, and it makes people uh, discount any any shred of truth that may be there somewhere at bottom. So you right. have to. Be- well, and you think too, these stories seems to have been really. Um, created and elaborated between 1998 and 2002. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. before people really knew what the internet would become and that we could look <laughs> up so much information. Yep. So uh, That's the truth. Um, that yeah, the so truth. they might have been made up before they realized people could They're fact like, check them oh. and be like, uh, no, that never happened. Oops. Sorry. Right. Oh, my God. So anyway, but that is the Hotel Monte Vista in Flagstaff, Well, that's a, that's a cool story. That was a cool little adventure. I feel like we've just been on a Scooby-Doo trek. Yay! It was the, 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 those darn kids. We're the darn, we're the darn kids. It was old man Smithers all along. The, all along. That's trying right. to that's scare right. people away from the, the, the Spanish galleon with those gold doubloons buried for some reason. Uh, I don't know. Right. In the middle yeah. of the Arizona desert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't make the rules. Anyway, uh, well, thank you. That was a really good story. So so mine is terrifying, but let's take a quick break. Okay. Um, I'm going to pee beforehand so I don't accidentally do it while telling the story. I am not going to so that I will. <laughs> I've never been okay. happier that we're recording this remotely. <laughs> All right, quick break. All right. Hey, it's July, and you know what that means? <gasps> we have more chats coming up. 
More Discord chats for our Patreon. More Discord chats people, for our Patreons. Folks, patrons, patrons, patrons. Patrons. That's what it is. Uh, our, our Patronus. Our, our Patronus. Our, 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 our Patronuses. <laughs> um, <laughs> so our dates for that are the 14th is for the full Discord, and then the 28th will be their Phantasm tier uh, chats. They're, they've been really, really fun. We have a great time with them. So come yeah, with we questions. We get so many ideas. Stories. We get so many yes. ideas for the show while talking to you guys. So please, if you yeah. have some input or some uh, some notions about what we uh, should do with future episodes, that the chats are definitely when and where to let us yes. know. Yes, and we also have on the Discord, we have different sections for uh, if you have any recommendations about ghost stories, especially on that Phantasm tier, recommendations about titles. But we have tiers from a dollar all the way up to $20. There's a lot of options for you to help support us. This is our mm. commercial. We don't have any other commercials right now. We're trying to avoid that as long as possible. So uh, the, the Patreon so is the way to make that happen. So if we would yes. love your support. Um, any support is appreciated. But if you are on, I believe it's the $8 and up tiers, you will be a part of the Discord. There's even a and d game that's going on with listeners, which is really <laughs> so cool. cool. So it's a great community. If you guys are interested, um, definitely the Discord is a way to do that. But we appreciate any support that you can give us on that Patreon. Again, it's patreon.com slash intentions, um, or you can just Google and if you're on the fence about being a patron, just join us for the All Skate chat on the 14th and you'll get to see how cool the community that's is. That's for Discord. That's the, for Discord. Yeah, the Discord chat, right. Yeah, join us on the 14th, right? That's the 14th? Yeah, but only if you're Discord. Yeah, well, you have to be on the Discord. But, right, that's what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> I got confused. I'm confusing myself. We love you guys. Join us on yeah. the 14th <laughs> and the 20th. Check out the... Patreon. Uh, you can also find it at ghoulintentions.com. Thank you guys. We love it. Love you too. And we're back. We are. Just like that. <laughs> for you, no time has passed. But for no, us, they've listened to one Patreon commercial, I believe. Oh, sorry. So one, uh, some time has passed. <laughs> it still was us. It was still Yeah, so us you were still talking. getting quality content without real commercial right. interruptions. <laughs> yeah. And although this is one of those nights where, uh, by the time this comes out, we'll have already had our chat, but we have our chat tonight. I'm excited about it. Yeah. It's always so much chats. fun. It is. It is. Yeah. All right. So okay, my, your turn. My story, I have full disclosure here. I didn't do nearly as much research, <laughs> uh, but only because there's not a lot of research to be had. It's basically... Um, well, you'll see as we get into it, but I do have a few sources, all of which kind of uh, repeat the same stories uh, with their own kind of take on it. But uh, you basically, I, whether this is true or not, I don't know. I just know it's a very popular legend and that it, we know the people who started it. So take that as you will, but it's still a terrifying story nonetheless. And because it bears a striking resemblance in some particulars to my own experience. <gasps> Personal experiences. It struck me as, as a worthy read. So my, uh, my topic this afternoon, this evening, whenever you're listening to this, is the Charterhouse Guest. Uh, Charterhouse is the name of a small town or a hamlet, they're called, in uh, in Somerset, England. So uh, you might 
hear me sometimes uh, say charter house meaning the town. So you might sometimes hear me say charter house meaning a particular building in charter house where one of these stories takes place. Uh, so I'll try to keep abreast of in what sense I'm using it, but it's kind of confusing because charter house is the name of the town, but there's like a, a charter house center uh, that's just known as the charter house, like center or rec center or whatever that they just call the charter house. So it's a little confusing. And the, and the name, because it's England, it has like five different names. But my sources for The Charter House Guest, which is one of the more terrifying uh, recent supernatural stories I've been able to find, uh, of course, Wikipedia, the YouTube channel Bedtime Stories, which I've I've uh, cribbed from before. I love their yeah. shit. They're so cool. I love the way they present it. Their artwork is gorgeous. Like, please listen to their stuff uh, and watch it on YouTube. They're so great. I subscribe. You should, too. Um, and I don't I don't even know if they are where we exist, but God, I would love to, like, do a, uh, like a cross collab with them. So, uh, also, a new podcast for me, one that I happen to find called the Cryptonaut Podcast, which apparently Ooh. is an all things cryptozoological and uh, really kind of fun. I, I feel a certain kinship to to uh, their main guy. He he reads a lot like I do and writes a lot like I do. So yeah, I had, nice. to, do a lot, I had to do a lot of work on this one so as to not just sound like I was totally ripping someone else off. Uh, also, a, st- a really interesting little blog called Strange Company, which is all about supernatural occurrences and whatnot. And it's just a good story. So I, I was able to find this exact same story uh, reproduced faithfully it, from multiple sources. So it lends a little bit of credibility to it. It also, you know, may not. I don't know. But let us tell, <laughs> let, let us tell the story and see where we go. So on a bleak, rainy afternoon in February of 1982, a group of students from the Haygrove School in Bridgewater traveled to Charter, uh, to Charter House Somerset for a school-sponsored uh, nature trek through the Mendip Hills. Mendip is spelled E-M, uh, M-E-N-D-I-P. Now, sure, the weather was less than ideal on this particular afternoon, but it's England, so... Like, if you can't stand a little rain, you're not going to go further than your front door. Right. What is um, ideal for England? It's <laughs> right, rain, right? Right, it's, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. That's why they, they call it the Emerald Isle. It's because green is literally competing with no other color. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and it must be said, the region of Charterhouse and, and the surrounding areas in Somerset are breathtaking in just about any weather. Charterhouse, also known as Charterhouse on Mendip, is a small hamlet nestled in the picturesque county of Somerset, UK. The area is renowned for not only its natural beauty, but also its ties to ancient history. The archaeological record leaves no doubt that Charterhouse has been inhabited by human beings as far back as the Neolithic Age. The Roman Empire uh, operated a silver mining industry here, uh, or there rather, beginning sometime in 49 AD, and that, that silver mining trade went on well into the early part of the 20th century, so it's a long, it has a long, long history. And in fact, it, it's shaped the landscape quite literally. There's a portion uh, near Charterhouse, or part of, I guess it's part of Charterhouse, uh, that's called the Velvet Bottom. (laughs) Sounds great. But it's It's really, it it has to be an ironic name because it's a very craggy area where the the hills are all rolling and stuff because of all the the mining and digging that's gone there over the years. So it's, um, and it's called the Velvet Bottom. But remember that, we'll come back to that area Maybe it's mossy. Uh, It is that, but... It's just weird uh, that they name it that. I think it's really clever. The Velvet Bottom <laughs> makes it sound like a really nice pants. Um, <laughs> but as with most scenic backdrops, particularly those in the UK, the Mendip Hills are steeped in legend and lore. One popular belief is that King Arthur is buried in one of the region's many caves, his body guarded by the ever-faithful magician Merlin. Don't go looking for it, though, because I don't want you to fall victim to that terrifying man in black we mentioned in an earlier episode. 
Don't, yeah. Uh, the perilous silver mining trade, which, alas, provided Charterhouse a livelihood for centuries, claimed an untold number of lives, many of them children. Children were often employed in mines because, well, they were small. They were little. Yeah. Um, so because of that, stories of phantom youngsters wandering the landscape have been told among the locals since... God knows how long ago, but back to 1982, where the story gets specific. The hiking group from the Haygrove Bridgewater School consisted of 15 teenagers and four teachers. The kids were uh, divvied up into three troops. Each troop was appointed an adult to guide them over the lovely but often treacherous terrain. The fourth teacher, a guy named Richard Gardner, would stay behind with the bus. As the troops set out at, <laughs> yeah, well, he's, he's the bus like, guy. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be here with the bus, guys. I like Don't his, you worry I like about his me. style. It's, I, I, already, I already like this guy. He's already a reliable witness. Uh, That's right. <laughs> as the troops set out at timed intervals so as to not crowd the trail, Gardner drove the bus to a parking area area near the trail's end and waited. Uh, the weather, alas, took a turn for the worse. Before long, the teenagers and their guides came trudging out of the woods, soaked to the bone and miserable. Everyone piled, groaning onto the bus. Uh, the first and second troops showed up fully intact. The final troop, however, emerged one teenager short. A 15-year-old mm. girl named Maria was MIA. When Richard pointed this out to the teacher in charge of her troop, said teacher then sprinted back into the woods to look for her. The storm had become so fierce that no one had noticed Maria's absence until it was too what? late. Richard drove the others you back. You have to have a buddy. Well, I think, you know, kids, what do you know? I mean, they were to learn. But so Richard then drove the others back to the Charter House rec center. Uh, he reasoned that Maria, if not headed off by his colleague now looking for her in the opposite direction, would probably make her way back there, uh, which the group had rented for the night anyway. So it was their destination. Alas, as Richard pulled the bus up to the rec center, Maria was still nowhere to be found. So he and the other two adult colleagues were growing desperate. It was decided that two would stay behind at the rec center. Uh, they couldn't get into it yet because they were waiting on the caretaker to come let them in. Uh, and so he took the kids on the bus with him up the road a piece uh, to look for, to canvas this long defunct mining area just up the road known as, as I said earlier, Velvet Bottom. Uh, now the area fed onto the hiking trail and was littered with old picnic tables and there was also a dilapidated scout building or a hut where Maria, they thought, might have taken refuge from the storm. It was worth looking into while they were waiting for the caretaker to right. show up. So he had the kids with him in the bus. The other two stayed back at the rec center. And here they go about, you know, about uh, two miles or I guess five kilometers up the road to this area to see if, if that that's the likeliest place for Maria to have taken shelter. Now, Richard parked alongside the front of the long disused hut, blasted the horn three times, rolled down his window and called out for Maria. Now, at first, there was no response. But as Richard listened, uh, straining to catch any noise above the pounding rain, he heard the muffled but distinct sound of children laughing. Mm. Though the rundown hut had been locked tight for years, he was certain it had to be where the laughter was coming from. There was simply nothing else in sight that could feasibly hide a group of children large enough to be responsible for this cacophony. Richard climbed out of the bus to investigate. Of course, it was still pouring rain, bear in mind, so ordering the students to stay put. As he trudged through the mud, he hoped against hope he'd find Maria inside the scout building, yucking it up with a bunch of local kids who'd broken inside to wait out the storm. This hope grew dimmer, however, the more he reflected on the fact that the nearest village was over eight kilometers away. The noise, in contrast, grew louder. By the time he'd gotten within a few feet of the building, he could make out specific voices, 
uh, even snatches of conversation. Some of the children were laughing and having a ball. Others seemed to be fighting. What's more odd, the sound he determined wasn't coming from inside the building at all, but from around back, in the middle of a goddamn downpour. Mm. Yet, when Richard rounded the corner, the ruckus abruptly stopped. Richard saw only a bare patch of earth turning uh, to sludge from the driving rain. No kids anywhere to be seen. Bewildered and more than a little unnerved, of course, Richard turned around and started making his way back toward the bus. Suddenly, just behind him, a soul-rending shriek broke through the storm, <gasps> dissolving into a choir of unearthly cackles. Richard spun Oof. around. Nothing. Just a ragged, rolling landscape scattered with trees, the nearest of which was too far away to have concealed whoever or whatever had made that ungodly sound right behind him. And now, he was grateful for all the rain to wash away the piss in his face. <laughs> <laughs> Judging from the wide-eyed looks on the students' faces peering out at him from inside the bus, he hadn't fallen victim to some auditory hallucination. They had also heard it. Determined Oof. to get to the bottom of things, Richard wiped the rain from his eyes and picked through the mud in search of a rat explanation. No sooner had he turned back toward Velvet Bottom than the sound of children's laughter rang out again, this time from behind him inside the scout hut. Okay, enough was enough. More enraged now than scared and convinced these punks were just playing with him and might probably have seen Maria somewhere along the line, Richard burst through the door of the scout building prepared to raise hell. Surprise, surprise, the ramshackle hut was completely empty, nor, from the cobwebs, did it look like anyone had been stirring under its roof for years. <sighs> well, by now, Richard thought better of the situation and decided it was time to get everyone back to the rec center and wait for the caretaker. As he slogged toward the bus, the impish cackling peeled out yet again, this time coming from all directions and again stopping just as abruptly and unaccountably as it had begun. In a blind panic, Richard lunged into the bus and locked the door for all the good that might do against his unseen <laughs> tormentor. The students, needless to say, were absolutely fucking terrified. Now, they got the hell out of there and fortunately en route back to the Charterhouse rec center, Richard found his colleague and a drenched Maria huddle under a tree by the side of the road. Oh, picked thank them God. up. She was fine. In fact, so relieved was everyone that Maria had been found unharmed that the uncanny events of Velvet Bottom took a back seat, at least for the time being. Now, as I said, the, the Haygrove School had booked the Charterhouse Rec Center for the night. Um, and just to give you an idea, the Rec Center itself is like one building, but there's like a dormitory kind of off to the side. There's like a little path that mm -hmm. connects it, right? They're right next door to each other, but they're not connected. Uh, just bear that in mind. So uh, right. after the day's excitement, teachers and students alike uh, were kind of taking things from the bus into the dormitory, and they were kind of sitting in the commons area, just kind of unwinding and just kind of waiting to see. Now, uh, by now, of course, the facility's caretaker had shown up. He was a spry older gentleman by the name of Terry Birch. Now, he'd arrived to make sure everything was in ship shape and to let the group in. Now, Mr. Birch's sturdy build and brusque, no-nonsense demeanor spoke volumes of his background as a Royal Marine. In fact, hmm. he'd been a commando with the Royal Marines, so go him. Uh, but for all his gruffness- He didn't wear underwear with the Marines? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't not. I had to. In fact, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't find any information about his underwear, Jamie. I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back to you on that one. That'll be an update. 
Uh, but for all his <laughs> gruffness, his kindly eyes, warm smile, and readiness to lend a hand made him a favorite among those who traveled to Charterhouse to take in the beauties of the countryside. He'd been a caretaker of the Charterhouse area for over a decade. In addition to groundskeeping, his duties included maintaining the rescue equipment kept on site. The center, you see, was also a base of operations for local search and for the local search and rescue team. Scores of recreational hikers flocked to the area during the tourist season, so accidents were inevitable. Richard correctly guessed that Terry's responsibilities had given the old-timer more than his share of spooky stories, given especially the area's reputation. So he gingerly broached the topic and asked, as casually as he could, whether Terry knew of anyone hearing strange, otherworldly laughter in the vicinity of the abandoned scout hut. Why, yes. Yes, they had. And while Terry couldn't claim he had the honor himself, he knew, he said, many a trustworthy soul who'd experienced precisely what Richard described, and not just near the scout hut, but all over Velvet Bottom. It's hard not to say that without a smile. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Phantom children were among the unspoken staples of the Charterhouse experience, in fact. Um, so prevalent were bizarre hair-raising stories like the one Richard had told him that Terry was inclined to believe just about anything anybody cared to say about the grounds he kept. As uh, he offhandedly affirmed Richard Gardner's worst fears, something about the teacher's reaction gave Terry Birch pause. A wary glint twinkled in the corner of the old man's eye. He seemed to size the younger man up and decide to share something he hadn't yet told anyone. Just a year prior to Richard Gardner's encounter near the scout hut, Terry Birch uh, had made the long, winding drive to Charter House to check that everything was in good working order before that the year's tourist season kicked off. This meant charging batteries, inspecting rescue equipment, cleaning the facilities, also cleaning wetsuits, uh, because a lot mm. of recreational divers come to Charter House to explore the flooded mines. Sounds terrifying. Oh, yeah. Um, no. And of course, you no. would do this. No, absolutely <laughs> <Yeah>. not. <laughs> No. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm terrible. I love diving, and I don't want to do that. Um, no. Uh, as, now, as an ex-Royal Marine, Terry Birch was more or less inured to long hours of solitude while doing this groundkeeping, the groundskeeping work. These prep duties were, as a rule, so rigorous and time-consuming that he'd opt to sleep in the Charterhouse Rec Center overnight rather than risk the treacherous downhill drive back home after dark when he was tired. On the night in question, Terry finished up his duties, made a customary round through the rec center to secure the doors and windows, and uh, headed upstairs to the rec center's infirmary to sleep on a cot. This was his preferred sleeping arrangement. The dormitory across the path was a little too drafty for his taste, especially if you were the only person in there. Uh, so not long after he drifted off to sleep, Terry was awoken by the sound of something scuttling around outside in the dark. Now... Whatever was making the racket uh, through the underbrush along the perimeter at the, real, the rear of the building was seemingly somewhat larger than your average varmint. Nonetheless, comfortable as he was on his cod, Terry was inclined to dismiss the prowler as a fox or a badger or some such thing and just closed his eyes. A few minutes later, he couldn't quite be sure how long, the sound came again, only much closer. And whereas before its medium had been twigs and uh, foliage, what Terry heard now was the distinctive, quick, and furtive clacking of what could only be claws scuttling across the floorboards downstairs. Eesh. Despite the doors... That's a very particular... Having dogs and wood floors, that is, is a very particular sound. Yeah. Yes, it is. Now, despite, the, now, despite yeah. the doors and windows being locked, Terry's visitor had managed to find its way inside. 
Confusion gave way to annoyance. This curious woodland critter simply meant more work, <laughs> and he was tired. Yeah, right. So for the time being, Terry reasoned he was within his rights to stay in bed and let the creature find its own damn way out again. He'd locate and patch up whatever hole it had come through tomorrow morning. Right now, all he wanted was a decent night's sleep. And besides, the door to the infirmary was locked, so he was safe. He was fine. He was safe. Right, fine. Yeah. This is fine. This is fine. It's not getting in here. <laughs> Spoilers. Um, oh, no. No sooner had he let this thought reassure him than the sound of slow, deliberate thumping indicated the intruder was plodding its way up the stairs toward the infirmary door. Terry listened in disbelief as the creature began to sniff and paw at the door. <gasps> now, still, Terry- No, go away. Go home. <laughs> Bad varmint. I go knew. home. <laughs> when I was writing this, I fucking knew you were going to say that right then. <laughs> Now, still, Terry uh, neglected to rise from the cot, sure that the animal would lose interest and move on. And to be fair, to be fair, uh, Terry, Terry fully acknowledges how odd his decision must seem in retrospect, especially for an ex-commando. He's not altogether certain, though, that the choice to stay in the cot was his own. Something about the encounter had the quality of a dream. Part of Terry felt that all he could do was to kind of watch this unfold impassively as a kind of detached observer, unable to to take part in what was about to happen. Ugh. The door began to creak and groan as though being pushed from the other side. Now, fortunately, the lock's integrity stayed intact, but whatever heaved itself against the door was doing so with considerable force. Unnerving as the sound was, it paled in comparison to what Terry heard next. After a few heart-pounding seconds of silence, Terry heard what he would later describe as a stiff brush brazing a hard, polished surface. His, blun his blood ran cold as it dawned on him what this new sound meant. Something was sliding under the door. No, I was hoping you were going to say sweeping for him. <laughs> <laughs> now, how this was possible, he couldn't begin to fathom because going by the racket this animal had been making, it must have been at least the size of a badger, but the gap between the floorboards and the bottom of the door was at most half an inch. As Terry lay there, his back it's to an, the- It's a hairy octopus with, with claws. <laughs> well, it, I mean, who knows? But that sounds terrifying. Um, as Terry lay there, his back to the door, confused, terrified and oddly helpless, the noise stopped, followed by more silence. With what felt like inhuman effort, Terry shifted around slowly in the cot to face his unwanted guest, whoever or whatever it was. Imagine his shock at seeing a large, hulking, indistinct shape looming at the foot of the bed, indistinct and terrifying in the darkness. And before Terry could react, the cot shook violently as something pounced on top of him. He could barely process what was happening as claws and teeth began sinking into his legs through the sheets. Instinct no, thank took you. Over. Sorry, no, thank you. <laughs> I'd know, rather not. Right? Instinct took over. Terry shouted and flailed, kicking, 
wildly at his attacker. Now, though he could feel the black shape tangibly recoil with each blow, still the beast clawed and bit away at him with renewed vigor. Finally, with every- Terry was delicious. That's all I'm getting. (laughs) Finally, with every last ounce of strength he could muster, Terry delivered a kick that sent his assailant flying across the room. A piercing, inhuman shriek rang out in the darkness, then a frantic scrabbling across the floorboards, followed by a crash against the infirmary door, so violent the hinges nearly came unmoored. Again came the sound of a stiff brush brazing the floorboards, only this time more frenzied. Terry sat up and listened, his heart racing as the creatures scampered down the stairs and out into the night. He sprang up from the cot and threw on the light. Yes, you do. Uh, the room was a fucking mess. In a blinds, in the blind scuffle, Terry had inadvertently kicked an electrical wire so hard that the socket had been yanked clean off the wall. His overnight bag had been knocked over, so his clothes and toiletries were scattered all over. Deep gouges marred the floor, the underside of the door, and most unsettling of all, the side of Terry's cot. Now, <sighs> the ex-marine collected himself and made a careful, methodical search of the building. All the windows and doors were locked. Indeed, there were no signs of how the creature, whatever it was, had gained access, let alone managed to get back out again. If not, It went under the door. He heard it. That's what happened. Well, but that was just the infirmary door. Like the outside door, like the door that connects the outside, there's usually not a gap at all because it's... Yeah, but there's a gap somewhere. But I mean, who knows? Who knows? Uh, If not for the claw marks in the cot and on the floor, Terry might have written the whole thing off as a nightmare, but the proof was undeniable. His attacker hadn't been the product of an overactive imagination. Not that Terry Birch had much of one to begin with. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Terry would never figure out what terrorized him that fateful night in the Charterhouse Rec Center, but after he'd finished his story, you can be sure the kids from Bridgewater slept huddled uh, together in the commons area (laughs) rather than trekking across the way to the dormitory. Uh, Richard Gardner, while taken aback by the ex-commando's tale, was at least relieved that his experience near the scout hut hadn't been quite as terrifying. And as a nice little addendum, uh, a year later, when Gardner returned for another sponsored nature hike, uh, this time in much better weather, you'll be glad to know, he found a note waiting for him from Terry in the rec center when they got there. It read simply, my visitor returned last week. Ah! <laughs> That's a good story. And there, there are all kinds of legends like that about the area, but those are the only two I'm able to find that are confirmed, like here's when they happened and to whom they happened. And so it's a good story. And it's, uh, again, I, I can't really vouch for the truth of it, mm-hmm. but I'm inclined to believe it because, uh, you know, a, a teacher, especially, you know, a high school teacher or the equivalent of a high school teacher in England would stand a lot to lose by just making crazy shit like that up, especially England, because they don't fuck around with that shit. They're just kind of like, oh, oh, you think you had something to do? Well, uh, may- maybe you should take a vacation. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and the caretaker. Now, it's possible that Terry was just pulling someone's leg because he thought, oh, right. this is fun. You know, it's a, it may be a boring job and he had to have his fun. But I, I, ha- I have a hard time believing that both of the stories can be untrue. Like, I think something happened. I don't know. I don't know. And if you've yeah. ever if you've ever trekked through the English countryside, and I have, by the way, I backpacked through the UK when I was 19 years old for three months. And um, there is something about that landscape that just makes it very possible to believe just about anything. Well, that's uh, because of the fairies. Uh, yeah, yeah. We call them the good neighbors. Mm. 
We were, we were we were instructed to call them the good neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> the good neighbors. But yeah, so that that is the Charter House guest. And uh, wow, that's good. Yeah, thank you. I just you know nice little terrifying story that kind of oh, reminds what's... me of the story I told you about the the thing that that uh, you know came into the, the my friend's bedroom that one night when I was yeah. sleeping over and I heard it scuttling down the stairs and luckily it didn't Oof. attack me. But whew, no, yeah. Uh, but Man, that is creepy. Terrifying. And I mean, you know, here's the thing is that, you know, the bias is is confirmation bias is a thing, is a real thing. Oh, and yes. As long as you're aware of it and you can look at the whole story, it's not that it just because something happens means it's a confirmation bias if you know the place is haunted. That doesn't mean that. It just means be aware of it. Yeah. So that you can say, okay, this is actually what <laughs> happened and these are other things that could have been. Instead of it's my favorite, you know. my favorite quote from the book Catch Twenty Two is just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. That's true. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, thank you. That's such a creepy story. Yeah. Thank you. <sighs> oh. Yeah. Don't don't go uh, into the forest. <laughs> apparently, apparently, even with groups confirmed. because you'll get fucking lost. Uh, yeah. Well. Poor Maria. I want to know too what happened with Maria. Like what happened? I think did she just she get- got. I think she did. The rain happened and she just got turned around and lost in the woods and like then started. I got backtracked. I mean, I don't know, but it, I don't think. And then bad friends happened that weren't watching out for. <laughs> Man, there's so many times you hear about people who disappear and mm-hmm. their friends were right there and their friends are like, I don't know what happened or Is oh, it- I let her go off on her own with this boy. Like what the. It is so Never great. in a million years would I let my friends go off with some dude alone when I was at even now. But it's but that's <laughs> like, but I think you're the exception which proves the rule. The fact is, uh, and this is very sobering, but it is incredibly easy to get lost. Even if you're traveling with a group of people. Like there was a story when I was yeah. doing the, the thing about the missing 411. There's stories about, you know, one girl, a uh, woman rather, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but she literally just went off the trail for a second to to relieve yeah. herself and could not find her way back. And her body was found. She died of exposure. Um, oh, yeah, that was off the app. And her body was Appalach- found. Yeah, I, I think trail. so. And she, she was found, uh, tragically, her body was found within, like, 30 yards of the trail. Yeah. And, I mean, but it's so, the wilderness is the wilderness, and it is so easy, even when you're with people. Like, people think, well, come on, because most of people that say that, like, because maybe the only forest you know of is, like, a park <laughs> where the trees right. are manicured and they're further apart. But it's it's damned easy to lose your way mm-hmm. and even lose sight of someone you're with in the forest. And it sounds are weird and tricky. Like, it's, it's fucked up. So you always have to be careful when you are hiking in nature. Yeah. Always, the nature nature has a variety of ways with which to kill you and it right. and to amuse itself. So <laughs> you have to know what, you have to know what the fuck you're doing, or That's just right. stay away. Anyway, okay. thanks for joining thanks us. Science. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, 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 I guess we'll have our ghosticles on Friday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Send us your stories, ghoulintentions.com. Hopefully the uh, chat will have gone well tonight. <laughs> yes, I'm sure it will have. Oh, well, it, always, sure it, does. Will have. it uh, yeah, thank you guys so much. Um, stay safe. Stay sane. And remember, it's, it's okay, okay to, to sleep, sleep with the lights on. on.